Hi everyone, and welcome to the March edition of the DistilleryTours.scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson, and in this episode, I spoke to Nick Savage, Master Distiller at the Bladnach Distillery. Nick tells us about his passion to protect and nurture the stocks at Bladnach, his earlier work where he applied engineering concepts to improving the life of a cask, the theory behind Bladnach's genius waterfall series, and he gives his tasting notes on his favourite malt, the Bladnach 14-year-old. This episode was recorded in March 2021, when the world had been social distancing for around a year to stop the spread of COVID-19. If you'd like to find out more about the Bladnach distillery and its whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Bladnach listing. We hope you enjoy it. So hi, Nick. A massive distiller at the Bladnach Distillery. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Nikki? I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> it is indeed, and it's not raining sideways just yet. Yeah, <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> it's still time. Um, so, tell us a bit about yourself and your career working in the drinks industry. Sure. Um, I I started um, in the industry uh, with Diageo. Um, sort of 20, 27, 2007, sometime like that. Um, and I started working with Diageo, primarily looking at whiskey casks uh, and looking at uh, looking at the Angel Share. And the the question that was ultimately asked of me was, how can we reduce the Angel Share? Um, uh, so there was a lot of uh, aspects that we looked at. Um, uh, that actually spread out from um, Angel Share into uh, cask life cycle, so trying to make uh, all, all kinds of rejuvenation of casks and making sure we could use them for a long, long time. Um, and uh, it, it was mainly an engineering aspect rather than a, a chemical aspect. So a lot, of, a lot of chemistry had been done on whiskey before, and, and, and Diageo wanted to look at it from a different angle, which was an engineering angle, to see if they could try and reduce those the angel share and and, and effectively make a cask nice and strong. Uh, so as we could, uh, so it could survive a lot longer, and um, that was uh, that was myself uh, with a, with an engineering background, and, and that's kind of where it started. Um, eight years with Diageo, um, working on primarily Scotch, obviously, but uh, Diageo is fairly fairly big. So uh, we we looked at um, uh, North America, we looked at Canadian whiskies, and we looked at their bourbon, and even a little bit of wine, but all very cask maturation focus that was the main starting point for me um mm-hmm. and it's about eight years uh, before uh, i was lucky enough to then get the opportunity at william grant's down in gerben um and that was the other side of the fence uh, and that was being technical lead for um brewing and distilling uh, and I, I relocated the family all the way down to gerben and um uh, gerben's a huge plant and I went on a huge learning curve uh, for the other side of the whiskey production bit side uh, production, and it was, yeah, like I said, it's a big learning curve. Great company, and learned a hell of a lot in the space of probably what uh, a 13, 14 month period, very quick period, um, before I then went up to McAllen um, with Edrington. Uh, they they invited me to to apply for master distiller for. For the McCallum uh, from 2016, I started that role. Um, again, another learning curve, another key part of uh, specifically McCallum's history, 2016 through 2019 was when I was there. Uh, and there's not much we didn't do in that period of time and learned a lot about stocks, taking care of stocks, how you utilize stocks, um, how you build the brand into 
to to the stocks um and specifically from a callan it was all allocation only so you you absolutely learned how to put every drop in the right place um so so that was everything up to um up to coming to bladnock in 20, 2019 uh july 2019 is when i started um and everything was going great until everyone got hit in the face with coronavirus. But, um, it's been a great 18 months, two years now. Um, and uh, what we've done in that, that period of time would probably have taken five years in some of the larger companies, which is probably one of the main reasons I wanted to come to, to a Bladnock. Yeah, for that personal touch. Um, just yeah. before we move on to Bladnock, I'm quite interested in this um engineering side of the the angel share first of all mm. poor angels i mean really you're taking it away from them aren't you yeah they've um, had enough <laughs> yeah for sure um you were talking about this the strength of the casks how long does a cask usually last then and and can you tell us about the kind of tweaks that you made to be able to reduce that angel share or, and what kind of impact that had on diageo and um tell us a bit more about that sure. i could dive into a little bit uh, a lot of it was sort of confidential but i could of course, uh, of broad, broad principles um when we talk about the the, the structure of the cask um you, you we considered it as two parts one was how well does the cask hold the whiskey how well as a container and then the fifth, the other side of um, the, the coin would be uh, how well does it mature whiskey? And we looked at that from a point of view of, well, you could have a great container, but if it doesn't mature whiskey, what's the point? And then on the flip side, you could have a great maturation vessel, as we called it, and it could make some perfect whiskey. But if it leaks everywhere, what's the point? So they were equally weighted in how we how we approached it. And from from the angel share uh, perspective we looked at everything from the materials and we, we actually went back to how does a tree transport liquid through its structure because if you can understand that then you can understand how whiskey moves through through the oak barrel very similar yeah. exactly the same so we took it we took it from a material science point of view we looked at it from a, um, a mechanical engineering point of view and a structural engineering point of view where were the weak spots where were the stress hot spots at various points of the design of the cask, whether it's where the hoops are, whether the, uh, where the bung is and what type of material the bung was made out of, the way that the end interacted with the cask shell. You know, there was very, there was a lot of touch points that, that had stress hotspots that you could, that you could, um, that you could optimize through testing and, um, and, and redesigning to a certain extent. So that was all about how well it was as, as a container um, and you know we 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 did a lot on that, and I think you know I would I would say there was a lot of um, design changes that could mount up to pretty much 50% of of the angel share. So we took a little bit out of them, but we didn't we didn't make them go too thirsty. Um, mm. But everything was also trialed to make sure that any changes that you make to reduce the angel share didn't impact the quality of the maturing spirit. Because yep. again, what was therefore what's the point? So we had to, we had to go through. Sort of due diligence and compatibility tests for, for that type of approach before anything was signed off. From a life cycle perspective, again, very broad brush stroke because when you look at a company Diageo size, they've got millions and millions of casks. So, you know, you're never going to pin it down to one particular how lot, uh, every cask is different. And, you know, broad brush stroke, you're probably looking at 35, 40 years for the average life cycle of a cask before it became exhausted. So then the challenge was, well, how do you rejuvenate that to make it last another 35 years? What are the key components of that? Um, and that, again, went down to material science. Uh, how are the flavors uh, or 
LDPs, as we call them, Woodex, some people call them, lignin degradation products, all the flavors that go into the whiskey that you taste. Um, that plus the, the strength of the material and also how the whiskey extracts uh, or, or the spirit extracts that from the cask. So you had to understand all that. Um, and the, the ultimate um, solution was we had to shave off a certain amount of exhausted oak from the inside of the cask and then you had to reheat treat that you had to set the cask on fire because that's where the that's where the flavors come from um and obviously when you're saying things like we're going to take off we're going to make these casks thinner then you have to go into the engineering side of things and say well are they still strong enough um so after many years of looking at that we we knew that uh, there was plenty of timber in there to to make sure the cask was still strong enough we could then shave off a certain amount uh, from the inside. We knew the temperatures and times by which to heat treat that cask again. So we, we were able to then extend that from 35 to 50 plus years. Uh, and then obviously I wasn't there after that, but I'm pretty certain they've gone beyond the 50 years now uh, because um, if you can just make it last another five fills in a, in, in a Diageo stockpile, you're, you're, you're well above the 50 year point. So. It was, it was a combination of material science, understanding of how whiskey matures, and then how you how you apply that um, to the operational side of things, basically. That's incredible, getting another 15 years out of them. I mean, I, I had imagined you might say another five, but 15 is, is that's well, got to be, I mean, if, yeah. on, a, on a company like Diageo, that must have been a massive impact on their bottom uh, line. It was huge. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of things to bear in mind. If you look at the average age of scotch in the whole industry, It'll probably sit around six to seven years old, probably. Everything that we produce would be about six to seven years old. So if you think of that being the average age, um, and if you think a cask is simply filled conservatively three or four times throughout the industry, those years mount up a little bit. Okay, so what we were really doing is taking one of the old casks and making it new again. So you had another three, four, five fills. And if you average out the average age, that's that that's sort of where you get to you get to kind of 35 40 years uh, because um the, every time a cask is filled uh, it's, it's taking up six to seven years as an average probably fascinating <laughs> well done you what a, what a, uh, well that's part, what, part what of a thing not, to bring not, not to the me. industry you know <laughs> not just me I, all the, throughout the whole thing that I, I spoke about it really is about you you're, you're part of it you're not you're not the 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 guru, you, you, you never position yourself as that. You never talk about it. And I, and I don't think that's right. That, that Everything that we just mentioned there about all the cask science and, and the engineering and the understanding of angel share and maturation and rejuvenation, that, that takes many, many people and a lot of collaborations and um, a, lot of, a lot of good teams that work well together. And I think that's throughout everything that we've done, whether it's Diageo, William Grants, Edrington or Bladnock, it's important that you've got a lot of experience or you're part of a group of people that has a lot of experience and 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 that's really how i've personally learned everything that i know which is not too much um throughout everything you absorb you absorb it from people and you you observe how how the, the experts do it and how they think about problems um and then and then you yeah that, that's really how i've grown from from my if i were to reflect on everything that's really how you how i've grown well, what a wonderful thing to be a part of, anyway. Yes, exactly. That, <laughs> Even that's, if that's you the didn't end. lead it. Yeah. <laughs> so, turning to Bladnach then, um, tell me a little bit about the distillery and how things have grown under David Pryor's ownership. 
Mm-hmm. So um, David purchased the distillery in 2015, um, and he purchased uh, the, the distillery asset and the maturing stocks. Um, it's been a distillery, 1817 was when it was founded. Um, however, it went into uh, a mothball status in 2009, um, and it had a very turbulent history, changing hands many, many times up until up until that point. Uh, so David purchased everything in 2015, and unfortunately, it was in such a state of disrepair that it needed effectively rebuilding from the inside. Uh, so inside the distillery asset, I think only the mill and the uh, the Grispin are, are still the original. Everything from that point was was new and designed by uh, my predecessor, Ian McMillan, uh, to to replicate that, that lovely Lowland style that we've got at Bladnock. And... That took from 2015 to 2017 when the when the when the, the distillery turned back on after David reinvested uh, in in that new distillery, so to speak. I just I I, I describe Bladnock as a brand new 200-year-old distillery. It's a great way of looking at it. Um, so 2017 was when when everything restarted after David purchased it. Two years of a rebuild there, uh, and throughout that period of time, we we've we've got some very very rare stocks, very limited, and uh, certain products have been released throughout that period of time, and now we're also releasing a few more depending on how we see the stocks that are currently sat where they are with the cast types that they are. Um, so it's been exciting to have the distillery restarted. It's exciting that there's maturing stocks there that we can start to build the brand with. Um, and I think it, over the last you know, two years, you've seen it accelerate Um in terms of the the quality of the products that's, that that are coming out and the stories that we're telling, um, the, we've we also opened a visitor centre in July 2019. I say we, the team opened it. I, I was I was probably about two weeks in when it opened, um, and and we opened a visitor centre and and and, a, and a, what we call the Melba Cafe at the, at the distillery. I try and get people back to to the estate and try and try and come to the distillery and enjoy what what we're what we're doing. Um, and then obviously coronavirus hit in early 2020 so uh, the distillery visitor centers had a, had a turbulent time to say the least uh, between opening and, and today but i'm hoping that um you know in the next couple of months we, we can have the handcuffs taken off and and we can have a really good season um it's not just a blood knock throughout the whole distillery tourism industry yeah for sure i think one thing that we can be really pleased about is that there's going to be a lot of domestic tourism this year, you know? Yes, so... yes I agree. And, and I, I'm hoping for that. I believe in that. Um, and and I, I, do really, I do really think that's going to happen. I do. Um, so tell us about the features of the distillery. When we, when we talked the other day, you were saying that everything's still done by hand. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, effectively, yes. We don't have um, a... Uh, process office, so to speak, where the computers are there and we can check the densities that are happening in the stills. At the same time, we can check the the mashing in temperature. Um, we don't we don't we don't have that. What we have is a a, a system where the the, the mashmen or the stillmen have to obviously look at uh, the screens that are telling them um, what's happening. But they they are next to the mash mash tun or the stills. They have to you know that they and a few distilleries do this. Um, they have to for example, in the stillhouse, they're making their cuts by eye. They're, they're taking their strengths using hydrometers, not density meters. And in the spirit safe, they're making their heads and tails cuts um, at by hand still. 
Um, so it's still very much done by hand. Um, and I, I like that craft aspect of things. You know, we're still, um, when you look at how things are built, um, the, the washbacks, for example, although they're new, they're still made out of Douglas fir. So uh, if you were to make them wanting much more efficient uh, fermentations, you'd probably go with stainless steel for hygiene reasons, and you'd probably put lots of cooling jackets or external coolers in there. But it was it was it was requested that it was done in a inverted commas traditional manner, uh, and we still do um, all the all the kind of fundamentals by hand, um, even down to we still fill all the casks uh, by hand um, every week, which again is not cheap and it's not quick, but we 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 want that handmade feel that 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 human touch at every point. Awesome. But I think it's important because what we try to say to everybody in the business is it's not it's not necessarily David's whiskey or my whiskey or anyone's whiskey. It's the people who make it. It's their whiskey and they should take pride in that. And whether whether you're the mashman or, or you're putting labels on a bottle or you're taking tours, it's your whiskey and um, you should take pride in that. And having things done by hand and having that those touch points uh, for me, really drives that home for, and, and, and that's when you start to see the quality. Uh, you can feel that in the quality um, as, as products are released. Yeah, I think um, there's something about the physicality of it, of distilling and, and the drinks industry in general, isn't there? Mm-hmm. The, the, um, and taking that pride in, in being part of that process. Yes. Yeah. And they, and they do. They, they, they will come, uh, they, um, the team, the, the guys, the girls, if they if they see something wrong, they'll come and they'll, they'll flag it. They'll not just step over a puddle of whiskey. They'll they'll say, "What's wrong? How did that get there? What, is it a cask leak? Is there something gone wrong? What's happening?" Uh, they they start to take pride in it and they say, "We've got an issue and we want to change things." Um, they're, they're not clock in clock out. They they really do take pride in the whiskey. I think that's um I think that's really universal to the distilling industry yeah. from from what I've gathered from speaking to people I think everybody's so passionate about their yeah, yeah. their role and and you know they take it very seriously and they put a lot yeah. of love into it I guess yeah it's quite a romantic industry and I think that's fundamentally the reason why it's romantic because everyone cares so much about it yeah definitely and you were saying as well the other day that that you've upped productions since uh, COVID happened tell me about that. Yeah, and this will probably be one of the main achievements I, I retire with one day and, and not not for myself, but for the team and again, me to just be part of it. Coronavirus hit pretty much, let's call it April 2020. Um, we never actually turned off our, our stills. We, we went slightly slower to allow our team a little bit of headspace to, to think about what was happening, to allow ourselves time to put in um, the right, COVID secure ways of working, um, but we never turned off. And I think that's one point that I'm very proud of. Uh, everyone came home, everyone came to work safe, everyone went home safe, yet we were still able to produce. And then on, I still scratch my head as to why we did it, but we did it. Uh, we actually increased production to full capacity, 24-7 operations on June the 1st, 2020. So pretty much right in the middle of the first wave. Um, so I'm not. We're probably one of the few that didn't go down, but I'm not quite sure who went increased production. And, and I take great pride in in saying that uh, I'm just being part of the team that that made that decision to say, well, uh, the way through this is to actually go harder. Now everybody's safe and we've got the right mindset. And when people did come back uh, from having that that sort of opportunity to breathe. 
they did come back saying, no, no, we, 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 we can do this. We're up for this. We'll, we'll be safe and we know we're safe, but we're, we're up for this. And our, our, our choice was we're going to go hard through this. We're not, we're not going to, um, we're not going to turn off. We're actually going to go harder. And June the 1st, yeah, we turned up to full capacity, uh, which is the full 1.5 uh, MLA per year. Um, and yeah, it's, it was amazing uh, to, to actually do that during the peak of the first coronavirus period. So I'll, I'll always look back at that as a, as a great achievement uh, by, the, by the team. I guess a good thing for your staff as well, because it gives them a, a goal at a, time when, at a time when everything's changing, giving people a goal and a focus mm. and something to get excited about must have yeah. been really good for morale, no? That, that's what happened when everyone... I mean, you, you remember, it was quite scary um yeah because it was so unknown and we 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 appreciated that everyone was scared no one knew what what this thing was and uh, what we said was we appreciate because there was also a split in how people were dealing with this some people were ultra scared and, and quite rightly some people said no no we want to keep working so you had to sort of accommodate both and what really happened was everybody who took a little bit of um time to get to get their mind together I came back and actually said, yeah, now we've, we're comfortable and we've proved that we can continue to do this in a, in a safe manner. Um, and, and part of the safe manner was also saying that we might not have got every base covered. <laughs> if you feel, again, communication and collaboration with your team uh, is if you feel like we're, we're missing something, let us know because no one's been through this before. So if you do feel like there's there's space, then uh, for, for improvements, then let us know and we'll do it. So we're not saying we got everything right in last April and we've been evolving, but having that that, that sort of open and honest um, feedback throughout the whole team, not only brought people back and said, yes, we've got something to aim for, we're going for it, like you say, a bit of motivation, but also saying that if I do feel um, apprehensive about anything that's going on in the world, I can, I've got somewhere to go and, and I know that I'll be, I know that uh, it will be listened to and things will be things will be action. So I think having that goal, yes, but also having that that collaborative effort within the whole distillery was was key. Thank you. What's been your experience as you arrived in two thousand and nineteen? Then what does your what does your day to day look like outside of the virus? Or what, well, the maybe virus, a, maybe a bit a of bit both of that, what, before of and that, after. Yeah. So before um, we'll go. So we'll call it up to January. Um, the we obviously opened the visitor centre, or we, they, the team opened the visitor centre. Uh, we also then opened the cafe, shortly followed by, we then had Prince Charles and uh, our Highness Camilla come along and, reo- and open the, 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 the distillery visitor centre for us. So within the space of three months, we'd, we'd opened a new visitor attraction and had a royal visit. Um, we'd uh, started to look at our stock, so I was probably about a third of the way through nosing every cask that we had just trying to understand the stocks and how we were going to use them. Um, and then we were starting to scope up the new products. So new products were being released. And I remember November 19, we actually launched uh, a limited run of 11-year-old, uh, knowing that we were going to make an ongoing 11-year-old. Uh, and that project happened from probably the start of October to mid-November, from zero to product in bottle on a boat going to a market within the space of a six-week period. And that type of feeling was foreign to me, coming from big corporates um, that I'd been in before, um, mature businesses. This was very much why I came, which was an entrepreneurial, high-paced, quick decision-making. Um, 
So uh, it was it was refreshing. It was alien to me. And I had to learn how to deal with that change of pace, that change of mindset, because um, I didn't know how it brings a certain level of uncertainty that says, are we making the right decisions? Are we not? And it's having that confidence to say, yes, we are. And we're, and we're going for it. And, you know, that, that 11 year old um, uh, kind of exemplified that. And I've been learning ever since. Um, it, it's been good fun. That That's why I came here, like I say. Um, and I think, you know, if you look forward, yes, the coronavirus then hit, um, but take that out of the equation. Up, I remember doing the end of year uh, summer shutdown presentation uh, to everybody. You know, I, I listed out what we'd achieved up until that shutdown. Even with coronavirus, we've launched, I think we launched a, an 11, the 14 was out by then. Uh, our first range of five select single casks had come out. Um, we'd, we'd just got into the waterfall being bottled. Um, our, our, um, uh, our blended uh, scotch, pure scotch, um, we'd launched another product uh, along that. So we'd launched probably five or six um, different SKUs of new product within the first year of, of, of my time here. And it, it was amazing to be part of, even with coronavirus, that, even without coronavirus, that was a monumental effort. So to see all that start to come to life after having a couple of months to plan, look at the stocks, and then see products start to come to life through all, all the hard work uh, of everybody throughout the team was has been really exciting. Um, and I literally can't wait for probably about two or three months time because there's another um, there's another heap of releases coming as, as we're working through it. And, and I think, you know, by the end of the summer, we'll have got a fairly structured set portfolio that will be um, that will be released every year and we'll have uh, a lot more of the innovation starting to come on stream. So very exciting, very fast paced, which I've had to get used to. Um, but it's been it's been a privilege to be part of it thus far. Um, that does sound exciting. Um, <laughs> I would like to know more about that if you're willing to share the heap of Which releases bit? coming, <laughs> as, releases you, as you said. <laughs> that sounds very tempting. The tidal wave of releases coming, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk, talk about a couple of them. I mean, you know, we started the single cask program uh, last year. Uh, so as I went through, uh, as I nosed each of the stock, uh, each cask in our, in our stocks, um, certain casks come out and I, I wanted to showcase them in, in other ways other than um, one of the core SKUs, such as the 11 or the 14. So I, I ring fenced 25 single casks, um, all of different ages and different uh, cask types. And what we will do Last year we started this, year one, we will launch every, every year we will launch five of these single casts that have been ring fenced for the next five years. So everybody can understand um, how much is there, how long the series is going to go for, how much is happening each year. So whether you're collecting or drinking, you understand what the series is going to be. I, I like a finite system, a finite series by which to to, to share and, and, and communicate to, to people who enjoy drinking it. So... Single cask was a great example of that. Um, and it's a great way of everybody understanding or, or experiencing the, the the broad range of cask types that we've got at Bladnock. So if you just buy the 14-year-old dollar or so sherry cask, now that's amazing, you'll love it. However, you, you're only getting the one cask. So the single casks allow us to showcase a, a wider breadth of, of, of experiences within our stocks. Um, other things such as um, Waterfall. Waterfall is a great, another great example. It's a five-year series. And what we've done with that is effectively take 
the whole volume of the five years, um, which is a thousand bottles a year, so five thousand bottles total volume. We pulled together that as a single vat, single batch. We drew down the thousand bottles for year one, and then we take the remaining four thousand bottles, place that into a different cast type, and see how it matures. We'll then sample that, and then we'll bottle, we'll, we'll, we'll decant those casks into another batch. We'll draw off another thousand bottles for year two, and we'll only then make the decision about what the cask for year three will be at the point at which we understand how year two has matured. So we, we, we don't know how, how years two, three, four, and five are going to mature yet, so we're not going to commit to it. So the idea is that we uh, people who are, who are buying and enjoying the waterfall are coming on that, a journey with us as, as to how we make whiskey and how we build whiskies and how we interpret maturation and, and a lot more of the um, kind of, I like you get a lot more of the details about how we make whiskey with that type of series and the decisions that we make as we go along that process. So that was, that, that was set up to, yes, it's a good collection and it's going to make some amazing whiskies and it already is, but it's more around how do we uh, communicate, how do we, teach and how do we showcase how we make things rather than simply just the whiskey and the whiskey is a vehicle by which to do that so they're the kind of releases that are up and coming uh, we've obviously got the 14 year old and the 2021 uh, release was back and, and I think that's I'm not quite sure if we've even got any left it's I think Will, Will our commercial manager might have sold everything pretty quickly on that but I think there's still some left um, and a little bit more to come later on in this year um, there's another product coming uh, above the 14, um, I'll not say any more about it. I think you probably keep your eyes peeled May June time for that to be to be on the website and, and in stores. Uh, and we've also got another um, no age statement or character led product coming out. Um, I believe that should be available uh, in April time for for purchase. So again, watch this space for for a new character led product coming. Awesome. I love this waterfall idea. It's a great, great one. It's very and, and difficult was... to explain without a picture and a flip chart and everything. But <laughs> if you go online, there's lots of diagrams that explain it far better than I do. But I, I mean, it's, it's you know, the way you describe it, it really sounds like a waterfall. You know, you're kind yes, of going down the different yeah. stages each sure. time and, and uh, you know, reconsidering it each yes, time. I really exactly. like that. I mean, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm flapping my arms about drawing the waterfall in the air. When I'm walking <laughs> to, but, I mean, my, <laughs> we, we've done all this, I'll tell you a story, and, and I don't want to ruin the waterfall story, but uh, we, we've done all this work and, and we've done all the story, like you say, the waterfall makes sense. Um, and and we'd got all the labels done and, and I, was, I was proud of it and it was great. And then I sent, I sent a picture to my dad in advance you know i said don't send this to anybody but here's a picture of what's coming it's called the waterfall and he, he said the same he said what what's the what, what, what are you trying to do and i explained it to him and he said yeah it's more of a cascade than a waterfall isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and i said you could you could have told me that before we uh, had all the labels made up and everything so um, <laughs> my, my learning for that is never show my dad anything until it's on the shelf <laughs> I love that. That's Otherwise, I'll just throw no, you on no, the Let's do a bus. focus yeah. group earlier. No, no, no. On. Just no, ignore everybody like until it's on. It's like, it's like your ch- children's names. You never, you never tell anybody what you're going to call your children. <laughs> so, tell us a bit more about your your work as custodian of the stocks, mm-hmm. and the rarity around them, and the. I, you know, when we spoke before, you talked a wee bit about the importance of providing stock for future generations. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it, it doesn't feel like an unusual viewpoint, but I guess. Um, 
it feels like something that maybe maybe just people don't think about who you know sure. who don't actually work in, in whiskey tell me sure. about it. um yeah i my part of my role is, is master distiller the other part is head of operations so the master distiller aspect of the role i've seen it written in a couple of role profiles and and the word custodian comes up a lot and and i take that part of my master distiller all very very seriously because um it's 200 there's the blood nooks over 200 years old and it'll be another 200 years <laughs> so you know it's not going anywhere i take my role as I, i'm simply keeping the seat warm for the next person um and what 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 we're providing today i wasn't here 14 years ago when the 14 year old was actually made i'm just here presenting it to everybody and somebody 14 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, will be sat in their chair presenting what we're doing today. And I think that's, again, part of the, everyone take, everyone takes pride in their, their product, but I think that's the other, which is part of the romance of the industry. The other part of the romance of the industry is this, this heritage and how we respect who's come before and who's coming after us. And we've got very rare stocks. Uh, we could bottle them all tomorrow and sell them all. Great, um, but that's not very respectful of who came before you and built them for you. Um, in the same way that somebody sat here 30 years from now, I'm hoping will say thank you for building these stocks and growing them. Uh, so as they have uh, products to launch in, in 10, 15, 30 years time. So the way I always flippantly say uh, how to articulate that is, do you want your do you want your bonus today or do you want your pension later on? And I, I'll always take my pension if I was to be able to pick one. Um, so we respect our stocks. We've got a mantra of uh, what we call protect and nurture. So we protect our stocks and we nurture them for the future. Uh, so we're always having the kind of accelerator and brake conversation. Can we get an extra thousand cases of 14? No, we can't because we're, we're we're protecting it, and and we've only budgeted to release X amount this year, and we're going to, we're going to protect it and stick to that because ultimately that's the value of of the distillery. Um, yeah. There's another component to that which is making sure the stocks are flexible. Okay, so we could lay everything down in bourbon. Uh, great, uh, it's, it's it's one cast type, and you could lay everything down in exceptional bourbons. Um, what what I try to do is I, I don't know what people are going to be drinking in 15, 20, 30 years time when somebody else is sat, sat in this chair presenting a podcast with, 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 uh, with a product. With a very old me. With a very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's when we drink. Um, so it, I, I, we want to lay down a combination of casks so as you can make different products. Obviously, we want to set a portfolio up and we hope that portfolio continues for a very long time. But you want things to be flexible, depending on how people's tastes and experiences and where things go. So flexibility is key. So we lay down a range of cast types um, to, to meet that. And also um, uh, the, the innovations, the, the ad hoc, the opportunistic cast types that you're not going to lay lots of them down. They might be expensive. They might be experimental. So you're going to lay some of these down, um, again, to build the stocks not just from a flexibility point of view, but from an interest and innovation point of view. And I describe it as we should be, we should protect and nurture what we've inherited, but we should grow a treasure chest for the people who come after us. Uh, so as they get lots of treasures 
to 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 launch in the in the future. And I think, you know, I, my aspiration is whoever's sat here in thirty years' time opens the warehouse doors and they say thank you for for leaving all this all these all these treasures for us to play with. That's how I interpret stocks. I guess there's a kind of time capsule element to it yeah. in that respect, isn't there? It's kind yeah. of that that feeling I imagine of the next person to come after you, or in or in thirty or fifty or hundred years yeah. time, Your coming grand, to those yeah. stocks and going, "Wow, isn't this great wow, that you know God, that they yeah. that they created this?" You know. Yeah. Although, and we might be old, sat here drinking a whiskey, doing an old podcast, but I'll be still chapping on their door saying, but make sure you uh, make sure you I don't, don't sell it all. Make sure you protect my pension. Exactly. Make sure you protect, because I left you to build my pension for me. That's what it's yeah. um, So tell us about your favourite Bladnach malt then and why. I'm going to, I've picked one and it's because it's cold at the minute. <laughs> so when, when I'm always um, picking what I'm going to drink, I always consider who I'm drinking it with, and also the climate uh, about which I'm drinking it, because taste profiles do change depending on the temperature, uh, the humidity of various uh, locations that you're doing it, um, that you're drinking in. So, you know, sometimes if I'm in the sample room and it's really hot, uh, I won't actually sign off a vatting until the next day when things have cooled down, because I know that my experience of that whiskey will change depending on the environment by which I'm tasting it. And so I always take that into consideration, but. My current favourite, um, because it is a win- it is winter time, is, is is our new 14-year-old. I say new. Mm-hmm. I think we did a very short release last year, which sold out in about 20 minutes. Um, about two two hours 13 minutes, I think Will uh, mentioned, and I think he wants to be. I think he wants it all to go sub two hours this year. So, um, <laughs> the the 14-year-old is uh, uh, Oloroso Cherry Butts, and what it's a very limited run again we only we only release a certain amount each year uh, but you will get 14 year olds every year it's got they're all first fill sherry butts so then you get a lot of intense characters but the way that it's coming through is it's, it's quite well balanced it's very fruity um it's got a, it's got a slight amount of of um spices slight drain on the finish but it's not overpowering with regards to tannins so i've got i i just i just got the tasting notes from from when i was writing them uh, in the sample room and a very high way high level way of, of looking at it was um i've, I've written down showcases uh fruitcakes dark chocolate and subtle sweet cinnamon on the palate so i, I with, with with tasting notes i don't like to write war and peace I like to say a few words that says if you enjoy dried fruits, if you enjoy fruitcake, if you enjoy dark chocolate, if you enjoy sweet cinnamon, then you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, and, and that's my approach to writing tasting notes. But it's extremely rich. Uh, that fruitcake right at the front, a little bit of um, dryness, bitterness from, uh, as I describe it, dark chocolate. And then a little bit of um, sweet cinnamon that, that really does warm on the finish. It's not it's not uh, tannic. It's not dry. It's very much a sweet, warming uh, um, finish to the whiskey. It's it's pretty phenomenal. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And try not to drink it too quickly because I know there's not a lot of it. That sounds delicious. Yeah, you're saying there's not a lot of it. How many is a limited run then? 2020 release was. Uh, do you want it in bottles? <laughs> 
I do, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should quickly get my calculator out and broad brushstroke. Um, not very, not too good at maths. Uh, I'm sure it was around that, six. I think there was around about 1,500 bottles for the 2020 release. Okay. And the uh, 2021, from memory, will be about 6,000-ish, something like that. Okay. Very high level numbers. Don't check. Don't quote my maths on that. Roughly. <laughs> but when, uh, that, that's it's a good example of when we say blood knocks very rare. We're not. It's not just a thing that we stick on the bottle. I, I would love to do, you know, a hundred thousand bottles of fourteen. I'd love to be able to do that. And I, I just have to be kind of the the bad guy who says no, we can't do that. We're protecting it. Um, <laughs> we're going to save it uh, for the next year. Good on you. I think it's um, nice to see people really taking care of things. Yeah. David shouts at me sometimes when we need more of that. He employs me as a custodian, so we, you know it's um, uh, you know you know David's great with that type of stuff. Actually, he's he's very respectful. He loves the history and heritage, and uh, he's very much yes. We use as very he, he describes it as the crown jewels. That's how he describes it. So he really does get. We're not selling any. We're not selling a drop more than we absolutely must. What's it been like for you and your team during the pandemic then? Uh, did you it, did it prompt you to change anything in addition, in addition to the increase in capacity or what have you been up to? Um, from a pure, pure uh, pandemic perspective, obviously we've changed the way we work. Uh, home working has become a lot more normal. Um, and I, I think a lot of people say this is this is how we're going to work going forward. I think there's a balance of that. Um, I still think that it's important that we see each other um, when, when we're allowed to do so. Uh, we, as a as a company, obviously had to uh, we 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 obviously increased production, but on on the sales and uh, commercial side of the business, what we wanted to do was bring forward our e-commerce channel, our online shop. So we again we always had that in the pipeline, but coronavirus actually forced us to bring that forward. Um, in the same way that we're, everyone's using Zoom now, uh, you know, I've heard that coronavirus actually pulled, you know, pulled us forward five years rather than took us back. And I think a lot of that uh, through things like Zoom was great. And, and it forced us to bring our e-commerce uh, and an online shop uh, forward. And I think it was uh, May last year, so probably about six to eight weeks after the initial hit or the initial lockdown, should I say, uh, of 2020, uh, we launched our online sales. Um, and it's been going great. It's been a great avenue. Um, things like uh, single cask, we're able to do uh, waterfalls specifically for the distillery and you have to come to the distillery to get it. But e-commerce also allows online exclusives now to happen, for example. So it's a great way to get direct to the customer, direct to the people who are drinking it um, and, and allows us to tell our own stories. So things like e-commerce have been a great, um, great pull forward through the coronavirus. But I also think just general ways of working, um, how we're communicating with our suppliers, uh, how the team is set up to communicate to each other, because um, we know that we can't be in front of each other. Uh, and I just see, I've seen the business grow. People might not see it because it's still right in front of their face, but the, the level of communication has gone up. So, and, and it's had to, to make sure that we're, we're on top of everything and we're making sure everyone's safe, but we can also keep going as a business. And if you don't have the communication, remote working doesn't doesn't work at all. So so I've seen lots of 
improvements from that perspective um, uh, as well as as well as technological advances. Awesome. I mean, I think there's a lot of distilleries have have um, uh, upped their game digitally, and I think mm-hmm. that goes across the world, doesn't it? Oh, to, oh, to have shares in Zoom before before COVID. <laughs> in January. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, you would have been a very rich person, wouldn't you? Um, and then finally, then, uh, what advice would you give to someone who would like to know more about whiskey? Honestly, visit a distillery. Um, if you can, visit, visit a distillery, because I remember, you know, I, I've enjoyed whiskey. Um, before Diageo, I knew of whiskey. I knew that there was a 12-year-old, you know, a 15-year-old, a, a whatever it might be. I never really understood what that meant. So when I flippantly said 14-year-old, 14 years it was made 14 years ago. What were you doing 14 years ago, Nikki? <laughs> it's that it's that type of timescale that is incomprehensible to most when you think about it. Going, what, what, what were you doing 14 years ago? <laughs> what was I doing 14 years ago? Cheapers. Uh, what? What? Uh, I don't know. I didn't have a child. I was yeah. I was much younger. I yeah. I, uh, I had a lot more spare time on my hands. <laughs> think, and, and that's when this 14 year old being made. Yeah, amazing. Which is crazy to think about it. So when you visit a distillery, you really get that that okay. There's, a, there's there is no whiskey tap. You can't just turn away. Okay, we've run out of fourteen. Right, turn make some more fourteen. You can't because it was all made fourteen years ago. And I think that when I when I when I started in Diageo, understanding the background of how whiskies were made was amazing. Uh, I never really liked uh, Petey um, until I started to understand why it was done, how it was done, uh, and, and the things that went into it. And, and then I started to appreciate it and, and started to drink it. Uh, I never really understood, why would I understand? Most people don't understand or don't, they've never been exposed to what an Oloroso Sherry cask is. We, again, we've flippantly said it, um, uh, but understanding what goes into making a 14-year-old Oloroso Sherry cask um, release would would be great, and 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 then that opens up the romance side of of the whole of, of the whole industry, um, and I think it's also about understanding. So that that for me is how you understand and appreciate whiskey. The other, the flip side is um, you could pose the question as they want to get into whiskey and start drinking. So I'm new to whiskey. I've never drank whiskey. What should I do? Uh, and I always try. Uh, I always say there's a whiskey for everybody. You've just got to work out where it is and how to drink it. So, you know, what, what, what are people currently drinking? Are they drinking light spirits, dark spirits? Don't go too hard too soon. If, you, if you're drinking um, vodka tonic, for example, very light drink or vodka highball, um, going from that to a heavily peated whiskey from Isla is probably going to be a very big shock to the system. So you and, and you don't want to do that because you don't want to then think, well, all whiskey is like that. I'm giving up. There's so many whiskies out there. Uh, I, I challenge anybody not to have a whiskey for them. I think there's a whiskey for everybody. It's just a matter of finding it. So, you know, think about what you're currently drinking, what you currently enjoy, and then try and find a whiskey that would be a great bridge from that into the whiskey industry. And then you can go from there as you as you experience more and more. Brilliant answer. Thank you. Nick, it was so nice talking to you today. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. Really enjoyed welcome. hearing about the, especially about the stocks. And that's a really good mm-hmm. point about the, um, you know, there isn't just a whiskey tap. Yeah, I've used that a lot. I've used that for uh, 
many many conversations with uh, brand marketing and commercial people who've who've sold all their stock and want more. Uh, and the the whiskey tap is a great analogy for. It, we, it was made 14 years ago. We don't have any more. Uh, and yeah, I think we that... A, we or maybe go. not. We don't have a, a whiskey tap. We just don't have a time machine. Yeah. I've got a time machine to go and fill it back up again. Exactly. So <laughs> the stocks, are, that's how I, you know, that's my main focus and protect those because somebody did it for me and I'm, I'll, we're doing it for the future. But you also want everybody to enjoy it. So go back to the previous question around what should people look for? If you And the tasting notes for, for, the, for, for the 14. If you don't particularly like spicy experiences, I'd rather you didn't buy the 14-year-old. I'd rather you bought the 11-year-old, which has no spices. It's very sweet, fruity, toffee, honey. If that's what you like, then then go and, go and enjoy that. Because I don't want you to just buy it simply because it's 14 or or 30 or 11. You want I want you to buy it. I want you to enjoy it because of what you enjoy drinking. You know, I want you build these whiskies so people enjoy them not simply because it says 14 on the label. And I think that's what we're trying to do. When you see, when you see Blood Not Products, you see that type of communication. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Nick. Really nice to talk to you. You're very welcome. I hope everyone enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed hearing from Nick and would like to taste some of the Bladnuch Distillery's whiskey, use the discount code DISTILLERYTOURS at bladnuch.com for 5% off selected products until the end of April 2021. DistilleryTours.scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, or sign up for our Distillery and Whisky News monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. In our next episode in April, we'll be speaking to Callum Lawson, Venue Manager of the Scotchmont Whisky Society at Bath Street in Glasgow. We look forward to seeing you then.